1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 9. I want you to read it with me. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, out loud. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, out loud together. Ready? For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Let's pray. Father, we look to you. We've come today, most of us, perhaps all of us, to worship you, honor you, lift you up, to give Jesus his rightful place as the head of the church, the Savior of the body. Uh, We've opened your word this morning. Now tonight, speak to us, we pray. Uh, Help us to uh, see what you want us to see. And help me to say what I need to say. Help us to apply it where we need to apply it. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 21 years ago today, it became very clear to the world who were the adversaries of the United States as attacks were carried out on the World Trade Center towers in New York and on the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Now, since the Garden of Eden, it has likewise been evident that God's people have had an adversary too, in fact, many adversaries. And thus we sing the songs, Onward, Christian Soldiers, the Banner of the Cross, Victory Through Grace, Hold the Fort, and so on. Now, it is the duty of the Lord's churches to take the good news to every creature. And so we can expect that Satan, our adversary, would be opposed to this. Typically, we think of adversaries to missions as perhaps the lack of money or the lack of men or the lack of methods. But we look here in Corinthians... And we we find that Paul, who had started this church on his second missionary journey, is now writing to them this book while on his third missionary journey. And the Bible tells us in the verse just ahead of that, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effectual door is opened unto me. So he's in Ephesus as he writes this. He sends this book with Timothy from there. And then Timothy stays there a while, comes back, and either comes back to Ephesus or he meets Paul in uh, Philippi, and Paul writes 2 Corinthians then, to give you some setting here of what's going on. Now, there were adversaries to the work then in Ephesus, and he seems to infer that there were some adversaries to the mission work uh, here even in Corinth, the church to which he is writing. And so I want you to consider here this passage. Then we'll go over to the Lord. We'll go over to Acts chapter 19 and we'll see some adversaries that he was facing there. And then we'll conclude, Lord willing, with a passage in the book of Luke. So I hope that you have the pen of a ready scribe tonight. Uh, I don't get many opportunities to preach. And so I'm going to ignore this clock. Brother David and Brother Nick think they can control me up there. But uh, I... Maybe, maybe the floor drops out if I don't listen to them. I, I don't know. I don't want to risk that either, all right? But let's look at some adversaries. Look, if you will, in verse number 10. He says, Now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Now, I hope I'm not reading into things here, but I want you to consider the adversary of age. Paul was getting older. He was about 50. I'm long past that. That's in the rearview mirror many, many years ago. 
Now, we may not want to admit it, but we are getting older. Timothy was younger than Paul, and Paul couldn't do everything that he wanted to do. And so he had this young protege, Timothy, and he sent him out to uh, do some of the work that Paul wanted to do. Uh, We're getting older. Now, I rejoice in seeing a lot of young men sing like they did, and in the choir, a lot of young men, young ladies like that. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if about 12 or 15 guys 10 years from now were out on the mission field? Amen. See, because while we don't like to admit it, you know, I'm getting up there. Um, Brother Doug is getting up there. And there, this may be my last time out. I don't know. I have no idea. You know, when we say see you later, by the way, we never say goodbye. We always say see you later because that's always true. Amen. So we'll see you later. So even if you're not here, and I don't expect you to come Wednesday morning at 5 o'clock, you know, you don't want to see me at that time. <laughs> I don't want to see you at that time. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to roll into the van and just let John take us. I don't know, man, the cup of water might be a small, I don't know, ride in the van with him to New Jersey. Could be an issue. But we're getting older, and somebody's going to have to take our place. Since the last time we were here, you know, Brother Rupert, Brother Lytle, Brother Hall, I didn't see him again. Next time I come back, you may not be here, I may not be here. They may hold me back in a box. They may bury me over there. I don't know. You just never know. It's just, it's an adversary to this open door is something we just have to honestly, you know, Jerry's, I'm almost 64, folks. If the Bible's true, and how many believe it is, you know, I remember when uh, Brother Doug came into my office, he just turned age 50, and he said, at the most, he said, I might have 10 good years left, and he's older than I am. So there's that adversary of age, and so we need to think about that as a church. Okay, okay, and certainly I want to groom young men there to take our our place there, but we've got to face this as a church, that there's the adversary of age. But notice, if you will then, in verse number 11, he says, let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace. Now, in verse number 10, he says to this church, he wanted Timothy to be there. He didn't want Timothy to have to work with fear of them, or maybe some people despising him, perhaps because of his age or whatever, you know that this book starts out with the people squabbling about who they were going to follow, who they were of, Cephas or Paul or Apollos or Jesus. And so, believe it or not, sometimes there can be this adversary of an assembly. Now, we know that the Great Commission was given to New Testament churches. And I heard Brother Joe Mandrino say this several years ago, that every church ought to work like that is their command to obey. So, you know, it's not enough for Lehigh Valley to say, well, okay, let's let New Testament Baptist down in Jersey, let's let them do the work, and we should, but, or let's let, you know, Haven Baptist, let's let them, you know, and I do realize there's a partnership, but we need to 
be careful here about being an adversary to the advancement of missions by, and by the way, a church is made up of individuals. You remember in this very book, there was an individual in the book that was uh, living in an immoral lifestyle, and Paul said, we need to deal with that, and he refers to that individual and his, his lifestyle as leaven. Do you realize that the missionary endeavor and heartbeat and desires and missions and things like that in this church could be ill-affected by someone with a sour spirit? You see, and that then could affect others in the assembly. So we we don't want that. Listen, uh, you've heard it from this pulpit. You've heard it from me. You've heard it from Brother George and any of our other missionaries that have traveled around. Out of the many supporting churches that I have, and I have a lot of good ones, but I'm going to tell you something. There's probably a handful that I would raise my family in. We better be very, very grateful for this church. I'm telling you, missionaries on the field want a strong base. They, want, they don't want a church squabbling. They don't, you know, they, I love it here. And, and if there's any service I appreciate, Pastor Chris, thanks for yielding the pulpit to me. I love this Sunday night service. You know, uh, I like all the services. It's not just his preaching. I appreciate your preaching, Pastor. But I like a Sunday night service. I just really do. It seems like you have people that have come not just because the preacher's, you know, popular, but because the Lord is one that they want to worship tonight. And we get to hear the testimonies and see the baptisms and hear the choir singing, you know, and we just kind of, and, and then, you know, you let this poor preacher get up here, and I'm poor, amen, and let this poor preacher get up here and just share his heart a little bit before he goes back to the field, and I won't be able to be here, Lord, you know, I don't know, you know, when's the next Sunday night service I'll be able to be with y'all here. So I love this assembly. And, uh, you know, if, if I have to come back here, you know, because somebody's causing a problem for this little guy to punch you in the nose. <laughs> Listen, you leave my preacher alone. You leave my preachers alone. You leave my deacons alone. You leave this church alone. If you, I'm going to just be real frank. If you don't like the direction this church is going, there's the door. Okay, we have a wonderful assembly here, and we, and we may not be the biggest assembly, but I love this assembly. Amen. You know, I've been here a long time, and, and this is a wonderful, wonderful church. I love the staff here. I just love the spirit. I love the songs. I, I just, everything I love about it. I see new faces. Praise God for that. I see outreach. I see a burden for that. I see people praying together. It's just, it's a great, great thing. Don't be an adversary, you know, by having a wrong spirit or wrong attitude or anything like that. There can be that adversary. Get behind the uh, missionary program. Get behind the conferences that we have. Uh, don't Oh, preacher's going to preach the fall Bible conference. I wish I could be here, and if I was here, I'd be here every service. I'd be here early. I'd stay late. You know, man, love this place. Come to this place. I mean, you know, this is not a cult. This is not a cult. It's just, you know, the local church, the body of Christ is something very, very important, you know. And so if you're a part of it, be a part of it, okay? Don't be a part. Be a part, okay? Thirdly, look at verse number 12. He says, as touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Now, I don't know what was keeping 
Apollos from actually traveling with Timothy and going to Corinth. I don't know what it is. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. So I'm just going to say there can be an adversary of an Apollos in the sense that, you know, Paul was a missionary. And Paul wanted Apollos to, you know, to go with him. Now, Apollos, you'll remember, uh, moved around a little bit. He wasn't a member of the church at Corinth that we know of. He went there to minister. And Paul wanted him to go. But, you know, we can have kind of the attitude. Now, again, I want to give Apollos the benefit of the doubt here. But Paul, Apollos said something like this. You know, Paul, it's just not convenient. And whatever that was, and I didn't study out the Greek. I don't know what you know, he meant by that. It wasn't convenient. But we have to be very careful about saying, well, you know, that open door that God set before us, you know, I do that, but it's not convenient. You know, it just might cost me something. It just might mean I'd have to do this or I'd have to do that. I'd have to change this or change that. I mean, think about that. Every one of you young men that was standing up here or in the choir, what have you said, you know, I want to go on a missions trip, and I'm going to save my money to do that. Amen. I'm going to set aside everything. I'm just, I just want to do that, at least pray towards that end. Um, and maybe even, like, I don't know, Sister Nadasky, are you here? Where, where are you? Where, there she is, Connie. I think her and John went, how long were you over in Africa? Ten weeks. You say, well, I'm not rich like Brother John. <laughs> well, John isn't the most affluent. John just wanted to put his resources where he could try to help and do something. Ten weeks, what if you did that? What if you, what if you did with your family something like that? So I, don't, I know it's not convenient. I know it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, a price tag to fly from here to... Africa or Australia or someplace like that. But what if you did that with your family for two, three, four weeks? How about a summer, young people? What would be wrong with that? I'll just, I'll stop right now. Okay, what's wrong with that? Let me see some hands. What would be wrong with a young person giving their summer? Anybody opposed to that? Come on. All right, so now why? (laughs) Robbie. The other day at the send-off, he saw Jeff's dad. Uh, what's his name? Greg? Greg. Greg Goss. That's the first time I met him was when he was here. Robbie wanted to know if he was the president. <laughs> and he kind of looks like Joe Biden. <laughs> he does, just younger. But, you know, Joe Biden couldn't get as many people at a rally <laughs> as we had for a send-off. So that's why I said, well, no, it can't be President Biden. <laughs> I thought that was great. That was classic. I appreciate that, Robbie. Sometimes kids say what everybody else is thinking, you know. But uh, now, especially if your heart is bent towards missions, you ought to do everything you can to somehow stir that. You know, Timothy was told to stir up the gift that was in him. And uh, people that acknowledged Timothy's gift... but. And what did Timothy do? I don't think he was very old. I, th- I kind of think he was maybe mid to older teens, and he went traveling with the Apostle Paul, and he did what Mark didn't want to do. And later, Mark got his heart right. I'd rather be in the shoes of Timothy than Mark. See? So, man, I mean, I don't want to sound charismatic here, but fan the flame. 
You know, if God, if, if your heart's bent or you want to... And by the way, one of the, reasons, one of the reasons why we have a Bible Institute, one of the reasons, is many, many years ago, okay, one of the reasons why we have a Bible Institute is for you to get in there and see if God really has called you. Because rather than pack up your bags and move halfway around the country to some Bible college and then find out you weren't called, get in the Institute. Learn what it is to study and pray. Get on your knees and, and uh, work. So... Check it out. If you think God's called you to missions, come to a mission field. You know, and don't be in a polis and say, well, it's just not convenient. Not convenient. Let's look at a fourth one. This time we want to go to Acts chapter 19. We want to look at some of those adversaries that Paul faced. Acts chapter 19 now, while he was in Ephesus. So turn over there. In Acts chapter 19, we find Paul in Ephesus. Look, if you will, at verse 1. It says, It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So he's in Ephesus at this point. And he said there in 1 Corinthians 16 that he was at Ephesus and he said there was this open door. There was this open door. Evidently, some things were happening there. In Ephesus, verse number 10, this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia, and we're thinking Asia Minor, Turkey area, all those, all they, all, did you get that? All they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's a lot of people in that area. That was an open door. Down in verse number 17, the scripture says at the end of the verse, and the name of the Lord Jesus was what? Was magnified. Verse 18, many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them. Verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now verse number 26, Demetrius said, Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people. Sounds like an open door, doesn't it? In fact, it's believed that those churches of Revelation 2 and 3, those kind of form a, a half moon around Ephesus, is very likely that they were started at this time. So when Paul said, there's an open door, there's many adversaries. And then he starts listing some of them here. So we find a fourth adversary. And that's the argumentative, because look at verse number 8. And he went into the synagogue, this is Paul, went into the synagogue, you got the idea, now this is a Jewish audience, they knew the scriptures, and spake boldly, that means to be very frank, very confident in the spirit, spake boldly for the space of how long? Three months, and if they met every week, that's 12, 13 times, Disputing, which means using dialogue. He was, he was stating his case, giving them a chance to respond to that. So he's, he's dialoguing, he's disputing and persuading uh, the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse or many were hardened, different ones were hardened and believed not. And that word, believe not, is actually the exact opposite 
of the word persuading in verse number eight. So he was seeking to persuade them, but they were saying no. And he, through dialogue, give another point, and they'd say no. And then through dialogue, he'd give another statement and use the Old Testament. By the way, Paul probably didn't have a copy of the scriptures. Imagine the scrolls. He probably had a lot of the scriptures memorized in going from place to place. That's a good example for us. I uh, was up in Connecticut last weekend, and we were walking through a mall with one of our sons there, and we just kind of, the display in the Lego store just caught us and drew us in. Because I wanted to buy the fanciest ones for Wyatt and all the others, you know. You can pay a lot of money for Lego. And so as I was on the inside of the store, and I was standing there, and I was looking at this display, this contraption, a guy walked up to me, and we began to chat, and here he had a skull cap on. I said, are you Jewish? And he said he was. And so I told him about how one time, Pastor, we bought a van from a Jewish fellow down in Jersey. But I said he wasn't a practicing Jew, and he said, I'm not a practicing one either. <laughs> I thought, but he had the skull cap on. Maybe some of us that are going bald, man, that's what we need, you know. <laughs> so I began to share with him some Old Testament scriptures. Okay, Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. Explain that. Who do you think that's about? And blah, blah, blah. Before the conversation was over, he said, I would go to hell. I said, does that bother you? He shook my hand, thanked me, and walked away. Just a, that was just a few minute engagement. Can you imagine engaging with a bold apostle Paul and how he's trying to persuade them. This is going back and forth for three months and their hearts were hard. Let me say something to you. Do not harden your heart. You have the capability of doing that. Do not do that. When God speaks to your heart, take that step forward. Say yes. Now, maybe you're not at the point of salvation, but don't say no to God. Don't argue with God. Thus saith the Lord. Don't be argumentative with God. And you know, you can imagine Paul going in thinking, these people should be ready. These people should know. These people have had the scriptures. They've had the prophets. They've had the prophecies. They've had hundreds of the prophecies fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet they stiffened their face. They stiffened their heart against God. That's an enemy to advancement. That's something that we missionaries face. That's something you face when you guys say, oh, oh, man, oh. And it is, it is getting harder. I understand that. It's an adversary to the advancement of the gospel. Look a little bit further down here. Look at verse 11 and 12. And I don't want to read into the text here, but it does say, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. You know, another adversary to advancement can be affliction. Now, Paul used this affliction. I mean, people have needs, okay? People have needs. You know, I'm not a faith healer. But people have needs, and so we, when we go out to evangelize, there may be people that we can minister to in some way, maybe a visit in the hospital. Maybe praying for them. I remember one day, I don't know if I told you this story, but I was out and about and uh, there in Dalby. 
and I uh, was just putting tracks in the boxes, and I tried to do that about once a year. But I, I was kind of pressed for time, you know, an Egyptian mummy. But I, I, I thought um, if I see anybody or hear anybody, I will stop and engage them in conversation. And so, uh, Brother Santos, has this ever happened to you when you tell the Lord something and then the Lord prompts you and then you have this little battle going on? And so I put a tract in a box and there was a big high hedge there. And so, uh, but I heard voices behind the hedge and I kept on walking, you know. And uh, my wife wasn't there, so the Spirit of God kicked in. And uh, <laughs> she lives next to the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you. Right? So, and so the Spirit of God tapped me on the shoulder and said, You said, I didn't know who lived there. I went back and around the hedge and I walked up the house. And Misty met me. I said, Misty, I didn't know you lived here. She was a, she went to cadets with Josh. And there was a small group of people, four or five people, out on their veranda, their porch. And I walked up there. And uh, I found out that it, something serious had just happened. Her dad, Roy's father, had just died. And they just got news of that. And so I asked if I could pray for him. And right there I prayed for him. They've been coming to church ever since. They need to be saved. So Adam and anybody else, when your spouse isn't around, listen to the Spirit of God. Do what God wants you to do. And if it means having a word of prayer with a lost family member because someone died, have a word of prayer with a lost family. Reach out, do something like that. There can be that adversary affliction. Uh, People just, just wanting help. I've done a lot with that man, Roy. I've done a lot, man. I can tell you stories. Oh, I won't take the time. If you want stories, I'll tell you stories. One time we went to the dump. Oh, my. Oh, my. But the adversary of affliction. Uh, use those situations, though, when people maybe seem to just always be coming and wanting this and that. Use it, and that's what I do. So when I went to the dump with Roy, I preached the gospel to him out and preached it back. And he wanted to go to another dump. I mean, he's a trash picker, you know, and he finds some good stuff. And uh, so we went to another dump, and then he's got a handicapped daughter. And so I went over and I helped him count these uh, bottles and cans at the Redemption Center, over 3,000 of them. That took a little bit of time. But you know what? Preaching the gospel to him, preaching the gospel to him, using that affliction, that difficulty to get the gospel out. Look down, if you will, at verse number 13. Verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, that means these were Jews that kind of wandered around. They thought it was their ministry to be an exorcist. They took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. 
And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. See, there can be another adversary, and that's the adversary himself. And all the way through this chapter, you'll see some uh, satanic effort here. So here are these uh, vagabond Jews wandering about and pretending to expel evil spirits or to cure diseases by charms and incantations and the like. And they would commonly use an oath to command these demons to flee. And here they use the name of Jesus, <coughs> probably because Jesus had cast out many. And Paul had used the name of Jesus to cast these out. And I do think there was a lot more demonic activity in the days of the writing of Scripture than there is today. Although I can't deny, I do think that there is satanic activity and, and, and so on. But we have our adversary that uh, uses religious people. Now, these guys used the right verbiage, didn't they? They knew the name Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. And that's a difference. That's a difference. We are in a spiritual warfare, and the devil is opposed to our efforts. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, he said, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are what? That are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded what? Blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. In 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul said, Wherefore we would have come, but Satan hindered us. Acts 26.18, in testifying there to... Uh, the uh, Roman leaders, he said, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. So we find this adversary of the advancement is our adversary as well. Let's go on down and let's notice in verses 23 through 27 this adversary. And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. They were in this for the money. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia... This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that there be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Here are their assets. It's so sad that first world countries are the last ones that want the gospel. Everything that you have here, we have there. Uh, except good Oreo cookies. <laughs> they have Oreos, but I don't know where they got the sugar to put in those Oreos. So if you want to send me something, send me Oreo cookies. <laughs> um, here are these guys 
didn't want the advancement of the gospel because they didn't feel they needed the gospel. Remember in Psalm 73 how the psalmist said, As for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. And why? Because the wealthy, their eyes, the ungodly, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Verse 9, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Jerry, I don't need that. Look what I've got. Got more than you. Why do I need your God? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. There's a side of town over there I much prefer knocking on doors than on the side of town that I live on. Because the other side of town, the other side of the creek, the other side of the tracks, we might say, there's a lot of people over there that a little bit have a little bit less, quite a bit less. And so there can be that adversary of assets. So I'm just challenging with some of these things so that you better know kind of what we're up against with this open door. Look at verse number 28. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath. There can be the adversary of anger. Adversary of anger. Now, there are two men named Demetrius in the Bible, and we don't want to confuse them because they're polar opposites. Think about this. In Genesis 4, Cain became angry at Abel's righteous sacrifice. 1 Samuel 18, Saul became angry at David's righteous behavior. 2 Kings 5, Naaman became angry at Elisha's righteous instructions. 2 Chronicles 16, Asa was wroth with Hanani the seer because of the truth he told. In Esther 3, Haman was full of wrath because of Mordecai's refusal to idolize him. In Luke chapter 4, the Jews in the synagogue of Nazareth were full of wrath at Jesus' claim to Messiahship. In Luke 6... On another Sabbath, the members of a synagogue were filled with anger when Jesus dared to heal an afflicted man on their revered day. And what is the bottom line? The bottom line is if you live righteously, if you respond biblically, if you speak truthfully, which you want me to do, don't you? Do you want me to do that? Okay, I don't have the preacher calling me up every day, giving me a list of things to do. You know, you send out missionaries that you entrust to do this. Well, people are going to get angry about it. And that's, and you can come here for Sunday school and sit around a table and you can get here and you can listen to some wonderful preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, and you can kneel on a, you know, a bench there with a friend on Wednesday night or whenever you have special, and the missionaries don't have that. Your mate gets angry at you. You got a place to run. You got brothers and sisters to fellowship and encourage and you can go back there in the battle and, but (laughs) your missionaries are out there. I'm not. Begging here for, you know, tears and things like that. I'm just, this, yeah. And we face some of that. Now, we try to do it in the right spirit. Uh, We try to smile. We try to have a a good time. We try to, not trying to use secular means here and things like this, but I I think if you do have a right spirit and right attitude, you can get a little bit further with people and kind of stave off. But I think uh, if they aren't outwardly angry, they're inwardly angry. Look, if you will, in verse 29. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered into unto the people, 
The disciples suffered him not. They didn't allow him to do that. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent on him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. And the Jews put him forward, and Alexander beckoned with a hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when the people knew that he was a Jew... All with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana the Ephesians! And we have another adversary. And that is the adversary of anarchy. You know, when people are in a rabble, when people are confused, when people don't know what's going on and they wonder what in the world is going on and then they, you can't get a lot of evangelism done. I mean, we would that the areas of our world where we minister were at peace. So we could accomplish more. But there's nothing like a rioting society or community. People venting their frustrations, foaming at the mouth, conducting an insurrection with revolutionary behavior. And, you know, people can be distracted by all sorts of fears. They didn't know what was going on. They're confused. They're fearing something. Some guy's stirring up trouble here. What's going on here? And they're, they're distracted by the economy. People can be that way. They can be distracted by disease. They can be distracted by illegal migrants and extreme weather conditions and communistic aggression. There can be all those kind of things that people are just captivated by and controlled by. And you're trying to preach. What they really need is Jesus. Amen. Now, they don't think that. Well, what about this? Well, you know, if you just knew the Lord, that would help you see these things in a different light. And and by the way, Paul is using these situations to still try to evangelize. I'm just saying that he said, I'm saying what he said. He said there were adversaries. And there are adversaries to our advancement. The last one I want you to see here is down in verse 35. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, ye men of Ephesus... What man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. Now, I put this up here. There is an adversary of authorities, but let me explain what's going on. Okay, so these authorities here, really it was to Paul's advantage that they stepped in. But you can see from the text, they didn't agree with what Paul said. They were just afraid of losing their position with the Romans if this rabble didn't get quieted down. And so the fact that the authorities could control the people and control the situation sometimes, and we don't face that a lot, we do face it. I mean, there are times where the authorities, referring to the government, sometimes that we don't know, we bang this around a little bit on our ministry feed with the guys, you know, different guys in different places, you know, what is government out overreach and what isn't, and, you know, where do we comply and where don't we? But there are some... Now, let me just say that Australia is... I hope it doesn't happen, but socialism is one step closer to communism, and we are a very socialistic country over there. And communism with what's happening in North Korea, what's happening in China. Uh, The authorities there, I was reading an article earlier this week. Listen to this. On March the 1st, communist authorities within China's state administration of religious affairs implemented new measures prohibiting religious groups from posting information online without government approval. Under the new restrictions, anyone providing information related to religious doctrine, 
religious knowledge, religious culture, or religious activities, which is transmitted as text, images, audio, or video through means of internet websites, applications, forums, blogs, microblogs, public accounts, instant messaging, or online live stream, must obtain an internet religious information services permit. What I'm saying is that there are governments... I mean, the very fact that we couldn't send Shane Mallard where I am, when they were attempting, Brother Leslie over there, Trinity Baptist, they tried to bring him in under the same visa that they let us in, and now they're not allowing it. Well, you know, um, I was telling Brother George that... These countries ought to want a thousand George Hammonds. Um, missionaries that I know of, we know a lot, some from here, some from here, they're putting money into the economy. They're not going to commit crime. They're going to, you know, as, as opportunities permit, they're going to help people. They're trying to work with some of the poor in the village. Why wouldn't you want a thousand guys like that? Why wouldn't you just stamp that and say, get in here, help us out? But see, governments a lot of times don't. And so they're a hindrance to the evangelization. I mean, George had had that two years ago. Um, and so why do we say this? I want to close with a, a passage in the book of Luke. Go, if you will, to one last passage. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke is the same one who wrote Acts. And so it's interesting as you study those books together. <coughs> Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verses 1 down through verse 8 or so. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then Jesus tells the story. There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. All right? Sit up here, widows. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine, what? Adversary. So she goes to the judge. She said, I've got an adversary. I want you to take care of the situation. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep, pray for somebody that's halfway around the world that's got adversaries. And let's just storm the throne of grace, begging God, asking God. We've got an adversary. God avenges of our adversary. We need to pray. We must pray. We've got to pray. The whole tenor of the message is that we have uh, weapons, but they're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So there's that open door. And there's those adversaries. We don't want you going through. We don't want you going through. Don't. And what's the answer to that? Weapons are warfare, not carnal. People in this section, every one of you, need to be a prayer warrior.
in this section right here. And don't think of the person sitting next to you. That little Pastersky girl right there, you pray for the Wilhites. All of you. This section here. This section over here. This section over here. You know, pray. Pray for us. There's a great and effectual door open. I, you know, Lord willing, our research, we think we're going to get back into the country. Brother Mallard wasn't able to. I'm getting older, but I praise God that we're there. Pray for Josh. Pray for Bree. Pray for my wife. As are all those adversaries. But with our weapons, LVBC, okay, pray, 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 pray.